Good morning, Summer Point Church. Good morning, everybody. Great to see you guys. I'll give you guys a second to find your spot. Um, thank you so much for joining us here this morning. Uh, Pastor Elijah was taking a little break. His kids were on spring break this past week. So, um, yeah, I hope we had a restful time. But this morning, uh, our primary passage we're going to be in is in the book of 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to be kind of jumping all over the Bible a little bit this morning. But I wanted to start out this morning by sharing a story with you guys, if that's okay. So 10 years ago, actually over 10 years ago, almost 11, uh, when I was a teenager, I was 14 years old and it was summer after eighth grade for me. And so we did this family reunion in Idaho and I was at my uncle's house in Driggs, Idaho. And I had this spiritual experience where I just got my heart right with God. And it was one of those moments where it's like you could feel the presence of God in the room. You know what I'm talking about? Maybe like that moment we just had when we're singing that last song. I started tearing up a little bit. But, you know, it's one of those moments where you just feel the presence of God so powerfully. And after that, I I opened up my Bible in that room. And Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says to them something along the lines of, well, let's get up and let's leave this place. So I said, well, okay. So I grabbed my Bible and, and I just walked down. I probably looked really dumb, but I just, I'm marching down the street in Driggs, Idaho, this town that I don't know my way around. I'm not from here. We're just visiting. And I ended up walking up to a Mormon church, actually. And There's a a lady that that came outside of this Mormon church, and I shared the gospel with her. And I told her about our Jesus and how our Jesus saves us. We're saved by faith. We trust. We cast all of our hope and trust in him. And nobody trained me how to do that. Nobody told me how to share the gospel. I just felt like God told me to do something, and I just walked down the street, and I I was in the moment, and I just did it. And then from there... Uh, God started presenting to me some different opportunities to reach the lost, to love people in a new way that I hadn't loved them before. Now, I knew I grew up in the church, so I like knew the Bible says we should love people and people need to know Jesus. But God like put this thing in my heart that just showed me, man, if, how, could, how do you live without Christ? How could someone not have this hope? And so on Tuesday nights uh, with my high school pastor, we would go and evangelize at local college campuses. And so every Tuesday we'd go and we'd share the gospel with college students there. And so over the course of the past 10 years or so, and that was, that was part of the way that God called me into ministry as well, but I learned so many people believed so many things and they have reasons for what they believe. And ultimately, I think everyone is just looking for a reason to have hope. Everybody wants hope. We see hopelessness in our world, and we want a reason to think that things are going to get better, maybe, than they are right now. And we don't just need intellectual reasons for what we believe. We need spiritual reasons. Do you have a reason to have hope when your faith is challenged by maybe another worldview? That would perhaps be an intellectual reason. But do you have a reason to have hope in Christ when... The doctor calls you and it's not news that you want to hear. Do you have reason to hope in Christ when it feels like your marriage or maybe your finances are falling apart? 
We all need reasons to hope in different seasons of life. And that's our first point this morning is that we need a reason to hope in every season. Maybe you came in here this morning and, and you feel like, you know, I'm not sure what to believe. I'm not sure where to put my hope. Regardless of if you've gone to church your whole life or if this is your first time here, we all feel hopeless sometimes. And so if you feel hopeless and you're like, I, don't, I know maybe I'm not supposed to feel this way, I just want to let you know you're a lot like the rest of us, and I'm glad you're here. So this morning, we're going to talk about some reasons that we can have hope. In the early church, they had their doubts. They had their reasons to perhaps feel hopeless. In 64 AD, Nero made Christianity illegal, and so Christians suffered a lot of persecution. But even before that, Christians were suffering under some persecution. And Peter is writing a letter to Jews who are dispersed amongst Gentile nations and they are suffering for their faith. And so he writes to them in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 14 through 16. He says, But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you, for a, this part's important right here, this phrase, underline this phrase, for a reason for the hope. Anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. If you're in the early church, and you're being persecuted for your faith. It got to a point where Nero, you know, they had the Colosseum. They would put starving lions in the Colosseum and throw Christians in there. And it would be something that people would just watch Christians getting torn apart by these starving lions. They would get thrown into prison. If, if you're struggling in this way, you're going to have some doubts, certainly. But you better have a really good reason to believe what you believe. And the biggest reason at this time was the resurrection. Uh, and Pastor Elijah talked about that last week. So we're not going to jump or dive into that really as much this week. But even though today we may not deal with the same things that the early church did. And we may not have uh, the kind of persecution they did. Maybe today's art can be a little more uh, passive aggressive. Don't you just love passive aggressive people? It's great. It can be a little more passive aggressive we still have crises in our life. We still have lots of things that make us doubt. We still have lots of things and mental health struggles and things that make us feel depressed and things that make us feel hopeless. And we need to have a reason to hope. We need reasons to hope in every season of life. Now, I can't give you every reason that we should have hope, or we can have hope. I can't give you every reason in one sermon. In fact, every time we open God's word, you could say, we find another reason that we should have hope. But just this morning, I'll give you four reasons that you can have hope, okay? Here's reason number one. We can have hope because God's word is truth. We can have hope because God's word is truth. 
how, how are you supposed to have hope if there's no truth? What are you going to hope in? You have to believe the thing that you're hoping in is true, right? I mean, the other, the other week, we were at Miramar College over here, and we're talking to a guy doing some evangelism and trying to tell him about Jesus, and this guy was kind of more agnostic. And so I, c- I couldn't tell you exactly what this guy believed. I was trying to understand, but it sounded like he just kind of just liked to talk a lot. And, but he, one of the big things that he said, that he said very strongly that he believes, he says, well, nobody can really be sure what the truth is. So I asked him, are you really sure? about that, and he just kind of ignored my question, but I don't blame him for feeling that way, actually. Now, I know that might sound weird, and I'm supposed to say, well, you know, we live in the postmodern world, and there's objective truth, and that's true. We do. Truth is objective. Like, there is one truth, but I don't blame people for feeling like they can't find the truth. Here's why. Think about it. The entire course of human history, we have never had access to as many viewpoints ever as we do right now. Never. I mean, if you lived, I don't know, 2,000 years ago, even 500 years ago, let's say you lived in a a country where they're Christian and you wanted to learn about Buddhism or Hinduism. Well, you had to travel to the place in the world where they believed that, right? Right? You had, to, you had to travel. But today, all you got to do is like open up your phone and it's there. So the access to all these different worldviews, viewpoints, views of truth, there's videos everywhere, there's TikToks everywhere. People are constantly being bombarded with so many strong opinions about what the truth is. And so if you're growing up in a world where you're constantly bombarded with, there's so many voices of, oh, follow astrology, follow Islam, follow Buddhism, follow this form of spirituality, uh, focus on materialism, make money, and all these viewpoints are just coming at you all the time. Eventually, you might get to the point where you just throw up your hands and say, I give up. How are we supposed to know what the truth is? So I don't blame people for feeling that way. And if you feel that way, in the middle of all of these voices, there's someone who prayed for you. His name was Jesus. He prayed for you in John 17, 17, for people who struggle with finding the truth. He says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. That word sanctify, it means to purify. It makes me think of if you got some, some water that's, that's dirty and you need to filter that water, you need to purify it. And we have all these different viewpoints that may have pieces of truth in them, but there's also pieces of dirt in them, things that are not completely true. That's the thing that's so hard about finding the truth is like a lot of really good lies will have a lot of truth with it. You know, I read a, a religious book recently and I got through pretty much, I got through the whole thing and I'm telling you 95% of that book was theologically true, but 5% was a lie. You know, if, you, if, you, if I give you a glass of water and I say it's only 5% poison, you probably don't want to drink it, right? I wouldn't. In the same way, Jesus is saying, 
purify them, sanctify them in the truth because we get so muddled. Our world today is so muddled. There's so many voices and Jesus' soft prayers purify them, sanctify them in the truth. What's the truth? Your word is truth. God's word is truth. How do we know? How we know that God's word is true? I can't give you every reason that we know God's word is true right now, but I'm just going to give you one, okay? Here's one reason we know why God's word is truth, and you can put your hope in the promises of the Bible. Prophecy. One reason we know the Bible is true is because of prophecy. Now, I cannot consistently predict the future, okay? NBA playoffs are coming up, and I'm sure Pastor Elijah would like to predict the Celtics will win, but he can't do that, right? Because he can't consistently, you can hope about things, but we can't consistently predict the future. But if somebody was outside of time, perhaps like God would be, then you could see a consistent pattern of predicting the future that would make you think the source that is consistently predicting the future, that source probably comes from God. And this is what we see with the Bible. There are so many prophecies in the Bible. There's so many, hundreds upon hundreds. But a lot of them point forward to this Messiah figure. This Messiah figure that would save the people from their sins. A college professor did a huge project where he examined the odds of Jesus being the Messiah or fulfilling all these prophecies by just sheer coincidence. What if the prophets just got lucky? So they calculated the odds of all these different prophecies and they found out uh, for Jesus to have fulfilled eight prophecies, the statistical odds of this is one out of 10 to the 17th power. So that's that number right there. This is the odds of if Jesus fulfilled eight Old Testament prophecies by sheer coincidence. What is that odds? If you take the entire state of Texas and you cover the entire state of Texas with silver dollar coins two feet deep, you mark one of those silver dollar coins, you throw it somewhere in the state of Texas, you blindfold a guy and tell him, go find it, and he picks the right one, that's the odds of one out of 10 to the 17th power. That's the odds of Jesus fulfilling eight prophecies. As you stack more and more prophecies on top of each other, the odds get lower and lower and lower. That's just eight. The odds of Jesus fulfilling 48 prophecies is one out of 10 to the 157th power. So that's that number. There's actually, you know, 157 zeros there I made sure for you guys, okay? And I thought about, should I do another illustration? Like, what if we had the state of Texas and like six feet deep of coins? But I thought, they'll get the point, right? Um, it's statistically probable that the Bible is true. But how many prophecies did Jesus actually fulfill? Was it over 50? Was it over 60, 70? No, Jesus fulfilled well over 300 prophecies. So it is very statistically probable that Whatever inspired this book wasn't human. And we have a reason to believe that it's true. And we have a reason to hope in the promises that we find here. And that's just one reason, okay? There's lots of other reasons we can point to the Bible being true. 
but we won't get there today. So if you're in a season where your faith is being challenged by a worldview, perhaps like atheism, for example, the Bible's not true, you can't trust it, prophecy perhaps is one reason that you can have some hope this morning, okay? The next thing, that next reason why we can have hope is we can hope because of the faith of those before us. We can hope because of the faith of those before us. Now, there's the great faith chapter in the Bible, which is Hebrews chapter 11. And in Hebrews chapter 11, it talks about all the different characters of the Bible and how God did great things through them and their faith. And if I'm being honest, my Western, individualistic, Burger King, have it your way, own your own faith, make it your like, individualistic mindset, wants to resist the idea that my beliefs can exist in part, or a reason for my beliefs is because my parents told me, my parents showed me, or my family had a legacy of faith, or I see the legacy of other people's faith. My, my Western mindset doesn't want to believe that, but it's true. And it's true because you see the testimony after testimony of people who have trusted in Jesus and how God worked in their lives in powerful, powerful ways. Do you have anyone in your life that their faith makes you have hope? Their faith helps you to hope in Jesus. That's biblical. That's a lot of the reason I think God gives us his word so we can look at people that are really messed up, but God still uses them in powerful ways and we can have hope in this God. And maybe you don't have that legacy of faith. Maybe you don't have that. Man, God has given you an amazing opportunity. God has chosen you. Out of all your family members, out of all your ancestors, God has chosen you to start a legacy of faith in Jesus. Can you feel the weight of that anointing that God has given you? That's, that's incredible that God has chosen you to do that. But even if you don't have that legacy of faith in your life, that's why we need to be around other believers, right? We need to be around other believers. That's why we have community groups so we can hear people's stories of how they're working out their faith in this season of their life and how Christ is working in their life. And that gives me a little hope and it can give you a little hope that, hey, I think I, if they're okay, I think I can be okay too. Parents, you have a very important job because everyone's looking at you. The next generation's looking at you. Really, at all of us, even if you're not a parent, the next generation, all those kids over there, kids, kids that aren't here, they're looking to you, and they're looking to your faith because more things are caught than taught. That's something... I've heard Pastor Elijah say, and you can teach them about Jesus, but they will not believe it unless you show them your faith. You show them how God is working in you in the middle of the brokenness of your life. Because every day, you are giving your kids a reason to have hope in Jesus or a reason not to. You are. Let's give the next generation 
a reason to hope in Jesus' name. Let's have the kind of faith that kids will see and say, man, I, I may not believe everything mom and dad believe right now, but they can look, look at your faith and say, I want that because they're watching, okay? So we can believe because of the next generation. I mean, we can have faith because of those who have come before us. We can hope because of those who have come before us. Uh, we can hope. The third reason is because God is with us. We can hope because God is with us. You know, sometimes we just need presence. We just need presence. I mean, imagine you get in a car accident and, and they take you to the hospital and you're all broken up and you're all casted up everywhere and finally your friend comes to visit you in the hospital and your friend sits by your bedside and you're like, I'm so glad you're okay. And since you're alive and I know you're suffering right now, but I want to help you out and I'm going to give you a 10-point lesson on why God allows suffering to help you out right now. Here's reason number one. And they go through, and you're sitting there, and you got your cast up like this, and your legs up like this, and, you know, your fingers are all broken, and you're looking at your friend. I can't hold that for very long. You're looking at your friend, and you're thinking, I'd like to be teaching you a lesson on suffering right now if I wasn't all broken up in my current condition. It makes no intellectual sense why... We feel this way, but that's because we're not just intellectual beings. We need presence. We're emotional beings. Because when you're broken, you don't need an intellectual reason to have hope. You need a spiritual one. You need presence when you're broken, when you're suffering. God promises us his presence. Psalm 34, 18 says, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Have you ever just needed presence? Maybe right now you just need presence. Somebody to sit next to you. God to just be with you. God is holy. God is powerful. He is seated on high in the heavens. But he also sits down next to you on the couch in your living room when you're crying about your broken marriage. God is powerful and his arms are strong and they forge the mountains. But at the same time, his arms hold you when you're sitting on the car in your driveway after a rough day at work and you don't want to go inside. God is with you. He put his spirit within you. It doesn't get more intimate than that. God wants you in his presence, but it's not just that God wants for you to come here to his presence. It's that God himself craves your presence. Now that sounds narcissistic to some of us sometimes. Like, I'm so awesome. God just wants to know me. I'm so cool. No, God just loved you so much in the middle of your sin, in the middle of your brokenness. God just loved you there. He came down here. Why else would he come down here? Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. Literally, it means he pitched his tent. God joined the neighborhood so we could behold his glory, so we could experience his presence, so he could send his spirit into our lives, into our hearts. God 
wants to be in your presence. He wants for you to be in his. And you don't have to wait till heaven to experience that. That's the good news. Is that heaven isn't just a place you go to someday when you die. Heaven is what you experience when you're in the presence of God. And you can experience that even now. The fourth reason, the last reason we can hope is because of Jesus. We can hope because of Jesus. Now, with all of the hundreds of people that I've talked to that believe all kinds of different religions, I'll ask them a question sometimes, and I'll say, do you know, you know what comes after this life? Are you going to heaven when you die? Or, or something better? Is there something better than this? And a lot of people believe in a heaven and a hell, and they'll say, well, I think I'm going to go to heaven. Or they'll say, I hope I'm going to heaven. But when they say, I hope, in that way, it's kind of like me saying, I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow, but we all know how that's going to go, right? I mean, these days. I hope this or that will change, but it's, I don't know for sure. That's the kind of hope they express. But a hope that you're not certain of, is that a hope? Or is that just kind of like hoping like a gambler hopes? With all the people I've talked to, I'm not even exaggerating, literally every single one. I've talked to people who believe in reincarnation, Muslims, Mormons, Catholic. I mean, you name the religion. I've talked to so many people, and they all tell me that they hope, but they're not completely sure. Why is that? Well, a lot of it's works-based salvation. You know, that's a big part of it. If just like all these other religions, if your salvation is based on you being good enough, you never know when you're really good enough. So you live your life hoping you're good enough. It's like, it's like there's a ship in the middle of the ocean and it's tossing and turning and you're on this ship and the waves are billowing and the rain is pouring and the waves are so high and your ship is turning and as you're on this ship, you hope that the ship doesn't flip over and you're cast into the sea, but your ship doesn't have an anchor holding it down. There isn't an anchor for your hope. There isn't an anchor for your soul. And that's what I see with so many people. Now it's not saying people who believe other things aren't happy and aren't, don't live happy lives. That's, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying, do we have a hope that we're really sure of? Only Christ can give you that. Hebrews chapter 6. We have this as a sure and steadfast what? Anchor of the soul. A hope. Here's the anchor of the soul. It is a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever under the order of Melchizedek. You're going to love this, okay? Real quick, 
I think Pastor Elijah might have mentioned it last week, but you know, in, in the temple where they would go and make sacrifices for God, there's like this top secret VIP room where the high priest could only go in there and he got his little high priest badge, beep, beep, going into the VIP room behind this curtain. And there was this curtain that was 60 feet high and four inches thick. And it was like a wall between the Holy of Holies and the people of God. And the high priest had to perform all these rituals and stuff just to go in there. And he would go in there and make this sacrifice representing all of the people. And really that sacrifice that he was making was pointing forward to the ultimate sacrifice that Jesus, the great high priest that is talking about here, would make. That's why when Jesus died and he said, it is finished, paid in full, what happened miles away over at the temple, the curtain ripped from the top to the bottom. What does that mean? His sacrifice bridges that gap between us and God. His merits, his works, his righteousness, his goodness, not mine, makes me able to enter into that inner place behind the curtain. I become a VIP because I have the righteousness, the goodness of Jesus covering me so I can enter into that inner place. That's what heaven's all about. That's, I mean, I ask people with other religions, it's, I hope I'll be good enough to enter into that inner place, to be in the presence of God, to be in paradise for eternity. But with Christ, you don't have to wonder. This is not a hope that you're just like, I hope. This is a hope that is an anchor for your soul. So you know How do you know? How can you know you're going to go to heaven when you die? How can you know you can experience heaven right now on earth as you dwell in the presence of God through prayer, through being with his people? How do you know? You know because you don't have to wonder if Jesus was good enough. You know Jesus was good enough. If you you feel hopeless this morning, you can have an anchor for your soul. If you made every religion true, and some of my philosophers in the audience are like, Jerry, you can't make every religion true because if two things contradict each other, they can't both be true. I know. Let's just pretend. If you make every religion true, still the only religion, the only belief where you will really have hope is in Jesus. It's in Jesus. Do you need a reason to hope this morning in this season of life? Now, those are four reasons to have hope, but I want to help you make your own reason. Because you're in a season of life right now where you need a reason that is specific to that season. So right now on your notes there, uh, it says, I need hope in blank. Now, you can fill in that blank and say, I need hope in My marriage could be an example. I need hope in my finances. I need hope in this relationship. I need hope in feeling confident in my faith in God. I don't know what it is for you, but we all need hope in something in this season. Maybe don't write it down right now. Maybe think about it later, but think about what do you need hope in right now, this current season of your life. 
And then the next thing is my reason for having hope is blank. I want you to think about a reason, pray about a reason that you can have hope in this specific season of your life. In this specific season of your life. Make the reason, these three R's, real, it's real, it's true, it's based on scripture. If you're wondering about how to do that, just you can look up scriptures based on your current situation. If you're struggling with temptation, you can look up a scripture that can help you hope as you're struggling with that temptation. Or if you're struggling with your marriage, you can look up even a Christian testimony online of how Christ helped heal a broken marriage. So look for a reason that is real that you can hope in. The second thing is make sure that it's relevant. This is important because I wonder if you feel a little hopeless this morning, not because any of your reasons for believing in Jesus, not because of any of your reasons for having hope are false, they could be true, but maybe the reasons you're holding on to right now just aren't relevant. What does that mean? Well, it could be like, well, I know that my child has run away from the Lord and it breaks my heart, but I have hope because I know the Bible is archaeologically reliable. That doesn't make sense, right? That's not, I mean, that's a reason that's true. Like, is the Bible archaeologically reliable? Yeah. But that's not going to give you hope for a wayward child. Look at the story of the prodigal son, right? So find a reason to have hope that is relevant for your season of life. In the middle of all the confusion in our world, I hope that this morning you feel that there are reasons to hope. Let's pray.